You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Then God spoke all these words. These words being what Christians call the Ten Commandments and the Jews call the Ten Words. They actually appear in two slightly different forms in the Torah. Tonight we heard them as recorded in the book of Exodus as given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The other form is in Deuteronomy where they are offered as part of a long address by Moses as he nears the end of his life. In both contexts, they are offered as something of a summary of the heart of the covenant law, the way of life. There are a whole lot more laws in the Torah, of course, but there's a real sense that these ten stand at the heart of it all, in a form that could be easily memorized or recited liturgically. Now, these words have landed up in all kinds of places over the centuries, often because they are thought of as generally applicable rules for any decently thoughtful culture with its roots in Christianity or the Judeo-Christian tradition. We have two stone monuments of the commandments here in Winnipeg. One is in Kildonan Park, another in Assiniboine Park. The one in Kildonan Park was placed there in 1968 by the Knights of Columbus, a Roman Catholic men's service organization. The one in Assiniboine Park was placed there in 1965 by the Fraternal Order of Eagles and its Ladies Auxiliary. They've actually not been there all that long, in other words, just roughly 50 years. And I wonder, was it the unrest and the ferment of the 1960s that inspired those two service organizations to set up those monuments as statements of stability and tradition in the face of changing times. Put the commandments there, that'll help people remember what's real, or something like that. And it is easy to think of the commandments as being timeless, traditional, the stuff of good civic order and common sense, I mean, what self-respecting society would protest the prohibition of murder and theft? Yet there's a whole other case to be made that these commandments were not about maintaining some generally good civic order at all, but were rather meant to be both visionary and quite radical in the construction of community. This is something Walter Brueggemann has been arguing for decades and which our own John Bodicher points to in his little book on the commandments, 
10 Steps on Freedom Road. I should note, by the way, that we have gone through a process of serializing that book as kind of an audiobook series of podcasts. And the first one, which is a kind of introductory conversation with John on his work, is coming out this week. Stay tuned. One of the first things, though, to note about the commandments is they are fundamentally linked to the covenant between God and people. I will be your God, you will be my people, is a rough summary of that covenant. To which one might add, and these commandments, the way in which you will express your commitment to the commandments is your keeping of the relationship, people. Live this path, in other words, and let this path be an expression of your relationship with your God. While some of the laws contained in the larger Torah strike us as odd or arbitrary or lost in the mists of time, what's the problem with eating shellfish, for example? Or why are mixed fabrics not to be worn? But these ten, taken together, still place a kind of claim on us, whether we are Jews or Christian. The first three clearly deal with ways of thinking about God. The final six are about relationship to neighbor. And the fourth, the one about keeping the Sabbath, in my mind forms a bridge between the ones about God and the ones about neighbor. I don't have anything like the time to do justice to that Sabbath commandment. Let me just say this. Call to make room in our lives a day to not work, not run madly around, not fixate on the consumer culture in which we live. That is perhaps one of the most important things to which we should attend. Much has been written about incorporating a Sabbath sensibility into our own lives. Tonight, I would just commend to you Brueggemann's little book, Sabbath as Resistance. Now, we read a, a somewhat abridged version of what's actually in Exodus. But the heart of those commandments all remain. And so we began, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Three, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Here's the force of things when you take these three together. I am your liberator, I and no other. And I insist that you see me as utterly unlike the many gods of the other tribes and nations. You won't carve a statue of me to be carried about as a sign of protection. You will not cheapen my name by using it to swear oaths or to try to invoke my power. I will not be domesticated or harnessed in such ways, for I am God, my people. You must trust that. Now, Brueggemann insists that these opening commandments are about identifying for the people their first and primary desire, namely to love God. 
At the Mount Sinai setting given in today's reading, the people have not yet learned that this is their true desire. It will take time to get the old gods, the old assumptions, the old habits and worldview of Egypt and enslavement out of their systems, but this is the starting point. I liberated you, you cannot domesticate me. Now, listen to what Brueggemann has to say about the commandments regarding neighbors. The second tablet asserts that the second true desire of our lives, derivative from the first, which is love of God, is to have good neighbors. That is, to live in a neighborhood. A true neighborhood is never a gift that floats down from the sky, but is wrought through the revolutionary work of obedience. How is obedience possibly revolutionary? Well, precisely by building the sort of container or framework within which a whole new way can be shaped, forged, and practiced. No, more than a new way, this is about forging a whole new people. But how can obedience to commandments begin to create a new people? Let me offer you an analogy or two. If you need to take a good long drink of water, you're going to need a cup, a bottle, a glass. Yes, there is such a thing as a drinking fountain, but it is ill-advised during COVID times. And yes, you can cup your hands under water and bring them to your mouth, but that's going to take you a lot of time and a lot of spillage to get the drink you need. And what if what you want is not water, but a good hot cup of coffee? Cupped hands are not in order. You need a container to hold what you want to drink. Or consider music. Consider live improvisational jazz music, which is a particular delight of mine. Realizing that a good many of you don't share that passion, maybe even think that a lot of jazz is formless and unstructured, Point out what the theologian and musician Jeremy Begme says about improvisational jazz, being what he calls multiply constrained. Begbie points to the musical constraints, which in jazz are things like meter, harmonic sequence, the scales that are used. Just think how different Indian or Arabic musical scales are from those to which our ears are accustomed. I have a jazz album which brings together Shankar, an Indian musician who plays a 10-string double violin, with Jan Garbarek, a Norwegian saxophonist. Now, they had to make some very critical decisions about the way they were going to musically constrain that project, which scales they were going to use, for instance, and if they hadn't, it would have been a 40-minute cacophonous mess. But rightly constrained, they create some stunning and adventurous music. Similarly, the kind of constraints offered by the commandments when dealing with neighbors actually makes space for good and right things to begin to happen. 
And that's true not just on Mount Sinai long ago, but here and now as well. Listen to Walter Brueggemann. If ever we gain clarity about our true desire, it will quickly become evident to us that the yearning for good neighbors cannot be satisfied by any shoes, deodorant, beer, car, or detergent. They are not what we desire. And so our energy might be redirected toward neighborly matters like housing, education, health care, and away from coveting and all the distortions of Commandments 5 through 9 that serve coveting. These commands, Brueggemann continues, are not primarily social restraints or modes of social control, but are about possibilities for life that emerge from coming down to where we ought to be. In case you might be thinking, but that's Old Testament. The commandments are Old Testament. What about our grace and freedom from the law? Well, I just remind you that Jesus himself said that the greatest of the laws is to love God, that the love of neighbor was second being like it. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus said, effectively distilling the 613 Torah laws down to the two foundational claims by way of a detour through the commandments we still, all of us, need to be reminded that the truest freedom is lived out within the strong container, constraints provided by obedience to the foundational call to love God and love our neighbor. All else, finally, is commentary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.